and welcome to episode 190 of SMARTS, which as we, you know stands for Sometimes Mendacity Avoids Really Tricky Situations. Is that what you we know? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> and I have to not practice mendacity and uh, tell you that I needed to look that word up. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Do you know what that means? Do you know mendacity? Um, From context, you could probably put it together, but... No. It means lying, make, making falsehoods. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On purpose. That's not good. No, I know. All right, to finish the intro, I am Julia Guglia of Internet Fame Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Rudiger Q Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor. Hello. Hi. So we have quite a bit of news this week. Ooh, okay, I'm going to shut up now and listen. So the first thing that happened is we got the first trailer for uh, Star Wars Episode Nine. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we don't, we haven't been talking about new trailers that much on the show just because I feel like there's usually not a lot to say about them. Because like, it looked cool. I can't wait to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's I love it. this that was wonderful. exciting thing that happened. Gotta watch it again. But I Moving feel like the, the main thing here is the title, which per, can, is, has already perplexed the blogosphere and the Twitter sphere. Yes. Do you even remember what the title is? The Rise of Skywalker. That's right. And if it's... If it was Rise of the Skywalker, mm-hmm. then it would make a little bit more sense, although people would be wondering who the titular Skywalker is. Sure. But the Rise of Skywalker is a weird phrasing because it makes it sound like, is it a person even? Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so people, I mean, the prevailing theory, which has already, even though the trailer only came out like a couple of days ago, has already gone through the full cycle of hot take then, you know, like, oh, man, that theory is so old yeah, news. Yeah. Like, I bet there's probably crazy new theories that the kids these days are all about. Yep. Um, but the the seemingly most obvious theory that, you know, was the first one that occurred to me, too, is that perhaps, because they made a whole big deal in, you know, I suppose spoilers for episode eight, they made a whole big deal in episode eight about the whole theme was, you know, um, correcting the mistakes of the past or or letting go of the things that are no longer relevant you know Mm -hmm. like yoda had that line to luke about you know the new generation we are what they grow beyond you know and there's a whole thing of let the past die kill it if you have to and you know burning the the jedi tree with the text inside even though ray secretly saved them or whatever so there's the whole thing of you know the the past is not necessarily even luke was saying this you know the jedi have to die because they let all these bad things happen they got too arrogant and so on um so the prevailing theory is that the episode eight was the last Jedi, whether you and that was Luke mm-hmm. and Ray will be the start of something new. And what if instead of calling it like a new Jedi order or whatever, she honors her brief, brief master who she yeah. knew for like two days and and call and the new not necessarily order because that feels like again it would be just repeating the mistakes of the past, but like if you if you are proficient in the force you are a skywalker or something like that and so mm, that becomes yeah. the new name you know and that's the way that the name is that's carried on through history that has a certain poetry to it again it's like poetry you see it rhymes <laughs> oh that um, hurts my spirit <laughs> but so i don't know but then some people are like well that's the, you know it's i don't know that some people aren't crazy about that there's oh it's just it becomes a name that you just call someone once they like i don't know i i think that has a certain symmetry, you know, symmetry to it and i i I could see them doing that. Maybe that's it. That would be a nice way of... Because you feel like it can't just be... 
if, she, if Ray just starts a new order and calls him the Jedi, then what has really changed? Exactly. That, that, that goes against all the themes in episode eight. So something has exactly. to be different. There has to be a reason why this is the last episode mm-hmm. in the Skywalker saga. And I feel like and it, it can't, it can't rise, just yeah. be because, you know, if Kylo Ren dies and Leia dies, there are literally no more Skywalkers. It can't, I feel like it could be that, but I feel like there has to be some, there has, this has, this has to be like an inflection point in galactic history. Something has to be different as a result right. of the events of these nine films that leave the galaxy irrevocably different than it was before. And it can't just be there's fewer Jedi and no Sith. I feel like it ha- there has to be some, you know, right, the, right. The, the culture or the way that the Force is used or the way the galaxy views the Force, the way people tap into the Force has to be different as a result. And that can be that Rey chooses to correct the mistakes of the past and make using the Force means something different in the future, right. whether that means she applies a new name to it or whatever. So I feel like that's the most obvious interpretation, but that doesn't necessarily mean... J.J. Abrams loves his mystery boxes, as he likes to call them. So, you know, it, it, he likes to throw a puzzle out there, and then sometimes it is the most obvious thing. Like, he's like, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch is totally not playing Khan in Star Trek Into Darkness. Wait, and yeah, then it totally is. was. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just because it's a mystery doesn't mean it can't have an obvious solution. Sure. Sometimes you... You're trying to think five steps ahead of him, and instead it's the most obvious thing after all. Right. So who knows? But I feel like that's the most obvious thing. But otherwise, the trailer looked very exciting. This is a teaser trailer, mm-hmm. so we really get no sense of what the story is going to be. We just see a few shots of yep. characters and locations and stuff. Um, and so it goes without saying that you're excited for this, too? I am very much so. We'll get more trailers. There'll probably be another one over the summer and then one when? more in the fall or something. Because the movie's still, what, like eight or nine months away at this point. It's not coming out till December, and this is only April, so mm-hmm. there's a lot more to go. Um, so then there's also, uh, a lot of, so there's a bit, a little bit more Star Wars news, um, at, I'm trying to think whether this was, I think this was at the same Disney investor meeting that they unveiled the details for Disney plus, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, they mentioned, I think it was Disney CEO, Bob Iger mentioned that the Star Wars movies after, uh, episode nine will be quote, going on a bit of a hiatus. Okay. I think what it is is that they had this plan for the 7, 8, and 9 to alternate with these anthology movies. Mm-hmm. And the anthology mo- movies would continue until, you know, Ryan Johnson's new trilogy and the Benioff and Weiss series of movies were ready to go. And then they would continue to alternate with those movies sure. instead of the, of the Skywalker saga. But after um, Solo underperformed, I don't know, it feels like. We talked about this at the time right. that they be that they had like a Boba Fett movie and an Obi Wan movie in development, and then they kind of scrapped those, or maybe they're going to become TV series or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that they basically what has happened is that they've they've decided not to do any more Star Wars stories movies, mm-hmm. and instead you'll have a break of a few years to kind of let because I think the perception was because Solo came out only like four months after the Last Jedi, and some people were like, "It's too soon, it's Star Wars overload." You know, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I didn't have time to get excited for a new movie yet. Mm-hmm. I think they thought that they could do what they do with Marvel, which is put two or three out a year, but I feel like. With the Marvel movies, because they're the characters are so different and the tones and are so different, so and the settings are them. so different, and there's so much source material to draw from. With Star Wars, it's like you've either got a blaster or a lightsaber, and they all kind of look the same and have similar music and similar themes and similar. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of different stories you could do with Star Wars, but probably not as many as you could do in a full comic book superhero universe, for example. Right. So and I introducing th- new characters is always hard. Like Marvel has well, a lot exactly. of source material. They've got that char- they, they know which characters. Exactly. They know which characters will stand the test of time because they've got decades with like the characters that got one appearance and never appeared again probably don't base a movie on that guy. But the characters that have been around for 50 years probably can right. stand a movie trilogy. Whereas with Star Wars, they're making it up as they go along, obviously. So there's a lot of reasons. But I think that now 
they're going to not do any more Star Wars stories for a while. They're going to let it lie for two or three years until mm-hmm. the next trilogy is ready, presumably Ryan Johnson's trilogy, which we know nothing about, where, when it's going to be set, who's going to be in it, anything like that. Um, to kind of let people get excited about the movies again. Right. You know, which is probably not a bad idea. And in the meantime, there's obviously the comics and the TV shows, which we'll talk about. There's going to be lots of Star Wars stuff. It's just not going to be in movie theaters anymore. Right. So that leads me naturally into the Disney Plus announcement. So we got the first details on this. So it will launch in November. Mm -hmm. So it's still a ways off. But they had already said it was going to be the fall. One interesting thing about it is the price. So what's your guess? Well, I already said it's interesting. So I've kind of tipped my hand a little bit. But knowing what these things typically cost, which is around $10 a month, Mm -hmm. Netflix uh, has creeped up above that now. Yeah, They're gradually bit, yeah. raising the price. Oftentimes, these services will start at $10, and then there'll be like an ad-free tier that you can mm-hmm. buy for like 15 Hulu does that. CBS All Access does that. Yeah. $9.99 a month is kind of the... Baseline. Is the, is the baseline. I think it's easily the average for most of these services. Mm-hmm. So what, what's your guess about about where it come, where Disney Plus is going to come in? Oh, wow. See, now now I'm thinking it's either under or it's over. Disney has a lot of material, though, so I would say that they are going to want more money. So, yeah. I think that's probably true, regardless yeah. of what the price is. I think so it's true my, that they do want money. I don't know. No one's ever accused Disney of being a charity. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but I mean, like, more money. Um, so I'm going to guess that they're starting at $15 a month. That That wouldn't have... I mean, I think people would have sort of raise their eyebrows, raise their like, eyebrows mm-hmm. at that but they would have been like eh, i'll pay it you know what i mean is like it 20 dollars a month no it's lower than people would have thought is it 7.99 seven dollars a month oh. or 70 dollars for a year so that is a remarkably low price Wonderful. for what you're getting and they they and they reiterated and provided new details on what you are getting so and don't forget only a couple of weeks ago, the merger or acquisition, I suppose is a better term, of uh, Fox went through. Mm-hmm. So day one, you get immediate access to all 30 seasons of The Simpsons. Oh my gosh. That's just one thing. Oh my gosh. Right? Wow. You get the entire Disney, what they call their signature series, which are basically their classic animated library. All the oh, classic animated theatrical Snow movies. White. And you get access to the <laughs> Pixar library, which they'll be gradually adding over the course of the first year. I don't know why they're not going to have it all there on day one, but that's what they said. By the end of the first year, all the Pixar movies will be there you get obviously a lot of catalog star wars and marvel content so Mm -hmm. it goes without saying you know the clone wars and rebels will probably be on there marvel movies will be there all the you know all the movies and they have some pre-existing licensing deals with um distribution deals with like netflix and stuff so they probably won't be able to have if they had their druthers they would have all the marvel movies there on day one but i think there's some pre-existing arrangements which predate their plans to do this service that mean that they might have to wait a year or two to get all the marvel movies on there Uh but they did say that captain marvel will be there day one it'll debut on on uh, disney plus um and it won't be available on any other streaming service. I'm assuming you'll still be able to buy it on iTunes, but you won't be able to stream it for free as part of any other sp- subscription service. And then gradually, as their old licensing deals expire, obviously all the classic Star Wars movies, in addition to the new ones, and all mm-hmm. the classic Marvels, in addition to the new ones, will be there. I think their plan is to have everything new and old, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar. It's, their interface is actually quite clear, is, is quite clean, and it really... <laughs> strikes you what you're getting when you when you get the service because they've got like five tiles right there in the main screen and it's Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar, National Geographic. Mm-hmm. Each one of those could be its own like $10 a month streaming service but instead you get all of them for only $7 a month. Wow. Um, 
so there's that's and that's just you know and I didn't even mention National Geographic because it's not really up our alley but obviously goes oh, saying you, you get all that it. too um, and then there's the, they provided new details on some of the content so we knew the Mandalorian was mm-hmm. going to be the big Star Wars project so that's going to launch day one with this in November wow. seemingly rolling out weekly like DC Universe style and not cool. dropping the whole thing all at once interestingly it's going to be eight episodes which I feel like is probably smart because I, I come and knock against a lot of these other Netflix series or whatever so they seem like they're maybe three or four episodes too long in right. a lot of places right. so lean and mean um, they reiterated that there's going to be the um, Cassian Andor series coming later presumably mm-hmm. next year they reveal for the first time that Alan Tudyk will be reprising his role as K2SO for that also oh, cool. um, <laughs> They uh, they moved on to the Marvel stuff. They reiterated that there will be a Loki series, which we knew. They, for the first time, confirmed that there will be a um, Winter Soldier and Falcon series and a Vision yeah. and Scarlet Witch series. Interestingly, Kevin Feige seemingly, according to the reports, referred to the Vision and Scarlet Witch series as WandaVision. All one word with the W and the V capitalized, <laughs> which sounds like that sounds really weird. I know why you would call it WandaVision. Is that no? A, that's their cute relationship name. Oh, is Her that what they're going for? Yeah, WandaVision. That's, <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Why would you call it? I don't know why you would because, call it that. Well, you know, unless like it's telling Brangelina you something about the kind of that tone stuff. that the show is going to have. But <laughs> I don't know. I guess it could be like a rom com style show. Well, I guess. Well, first off, it could be, but no, I think I don't think that's the working title. I think that that was just Kevin Feige's cutesy way of but referring. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm saying. People are taking it as the reveal of the official title of the series. Well, and I'm not that's sure that's true. the way he meant it. No, I, I don't I don't know why so. you wouldn't just call it Scarlet Witch and the Vision. Just like they're calling like they're calling it Falcon and Winter Soldier. Right. They're not call, calling it like... Well, they wouldn't, right? Because those two characters are not <laughs> in a relationship. or something like... I mean, or aren't they? I know. <laughs> they did have kind of a frenemy thing going on in the other movies. Well, that's nice. But <laughs> um, I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't dig deep on the fan fiction so, one, but... So anyway, so what, anyway, regardless of whether that whether that ends up being what it's called, so it's I mean, it's not going to be called that. No and of way. course, as we've talked about before on the show, this is for the first time, unlike all the stuff on ABC and Netflix and Hulu and wherever else, this is Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios actively producing these shows themselves in house oh, wow. instead of instead of Disney's TV division or ABC or the Netflix people right. making these shows, which Kevin Feige had no input in and no really regard for right which explains why the the movies might occasionally spin off into tv show stuff but the tv shows never have any impact on the movie stuff right this stuff and feige walked out on stage and he's like this stuff is going to be essential viewing if you're an mcu fan like Mm -hmm. there's going to be stuff that's set up here that pays off in the movies and vice versa i mean one example i saw someone spitball and this would be huge if they did it like this would be a heck of a way to say we're here and this is important viewing is say Steve Rogers doesn't make it out of Avengers Endgame, which is, you know, perhaps the common wisdom because unless they're tra- tricking everybody, Chris Evans' contract is up and he's not yeah, going to play yeah, the character. So say, say for the sake of argument, he dies in Avengers Endgame. Who are the two other characters, aside from like oddball occasional one-offs, who have been Captain America in the comics? Bucky <laughs> Barnes and Sam Wilson. So what right. if this series ends with one of them taking up the Captain America mantle wow. and the next time... Captain America shows up in the movies, it's one of these guys. Mm-hmm. And you don't know why unless you've been watching this show. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be a heck of a way to be like, over here, guys, you need to yeah, pay yeah. attention to this stuff. Yep. I mean, it could be, it's a bit of a coincidence otherwise that those are just happen to be the two guys that have also been Captain America. But I feel like the movies, particularly Civil War, kind of set up that they have this sort of frenemy banter thing going on. And so maybe test audiences are like, we want to see more of those two guys right. sniping at each other, and that's why they're doing it. But I don't know. I mean, that, that's just one theory. That'd be mm-hmm. a heck of a way of doing it. And then 
there's going to be the What If animated series, which we also talked about, where each right. episode will riff on a, a potential alternate sequence of events from the MCU yep. with the um, actors from the movies reprising their roles. And they revealed what the premise of the first episode is going to be. It's going to be, what if Peggy Carter got the super soldier serum instead of Steve Rogers? Oh. And Steve Rogers had to basically like be her sidekick in a powered suit of armor that um, that Howard Stark creates. Oh. And... We're assu- and so I think it's safe to assume that Haley Atwell and Chris Evans yeah. will be reprising their roles for this movie. And this kind of explains what um, the Russo brothers said at one point when someone was asked if, this, if Endgame is going to be Chris Evans' last time playing Captain America. They're like, well, maybe you haven't seen the last of him playing Captain America yet. That got people's hopes up that maybe he's going to extend his contract. Right. But this might have been what they were talking about. Right. So right. kind of a good news, bad news scenario. But, I mean, if they get Chris Evans to voice his character in yeah. the show, then they can pretty much, I think it kind of says that they're going to try to get everybody, right? Like yep. Dominic Cooper could be Howard Stark. I mean, who knows? I mean, can, can you imagine Robert Downey Jr. voicing his character in a cartoon? I don't think he's ever done any kind of, like... <laughs> voice acting. I mean, and I'm like an, and like, I, I'm not one of those people that looks down <laughs> so their nose cool. at animation, but even I have to admit, like, there's stars and then there's stars. Like, Robert Downey Jr. does not do voiceover work. You know? like, not, e- not, <laughs> even, know. not even the way that, not even the way that, like, a lot of stars these days will do, like, a funny CG comedy. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you see an ad for a CG kids comedy in the theaters and they have this whole lineup of amazing stars because these actors want to voice a character in a movie that their kids can go see. Like, Benedict Cumberbatch's kids, if he has any, are not going to watch... Sherlock, you know, mm. but if he voices like a, a zany squirrel in an Ice Age movie or something, then that's something. Well, this is what they said. Like, this is why a lot of these big actors like to do voiceover work sure. is because it's generally skews younger and it's yeah. something that they can watch with their kids, you know? Yeah. So, but I feel like Robert Downey Jr. is like, I, I'm not going to. Can you picture him? Do, I can't picture him doing voiceover work. If they I can. Him, I absolutely can. He's a professional. It's not that I don't think, that I don't think that he wouldn't have fun with it. I just think that it honestly hasn't even occurred to him because it's like, it's not up his alley <laughs> normally. But. I don't know. Like, if they can get Chris Evans and they can get, you think they can get just about anybody, but that's ex- that's a cool premise for the that first is very episode. Cool. You know, because, and this just shows, like, you can take defining moments in the MCU. Right. I mean, there's a whole a whole bunch. I mean, just the one that I threw up off the top of my head last time was like, oh, what if Coulson didn't die in the Avengers or something? How would that, like, and the team didn't come together. They went their separate ways. And the Chitari destroyed New York, or like the, the nuclear bomb went off, you know, that they yeah. had, that the World Council had fire and the New York was destroyed and Loki and the Chitari rule the earth and the Avengers are scattered because they never came together and S.H.I.E.L.D. is desperately trying to hold it together. Like, they could do all sorts of cool things like that. Right. It goes without saying. So anyway, so this is all very exciting. All that's coming to the service. The only thing I think that they mentioned specifically rolling out at the start is the Mandalorian. So I suspect that the Marvel stuff probably hasn't... Need- the Mandalorian is wrapped. Mm-hmm. But I, I suspect the Marvel stuff won't even start shooting until later this year or next year. So that stuff will probably roll. I would imagine that at least at first, they're probably going to go for the same kind of thing the DC Universe is going for, right. which is a new episode of a show once a week. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe ideally they'd like to get to a point where they have a new, a new Star Wars episode and a new... Um, Marvel episode once a week so there's two new things to watch right. in addition to new back catalog stuff and of course I think this is confirmed I could be wrong but I think that the clone, the return of the Clone Wars mm-hmm. um, is also going to be exclusive to Disney Plus so that's one other Star Wars thing that you'll be able to get there presumably on day one because they seem like they've got footage finished it was at celebration and we're still like six months away right. so that'll be something else so it's pretty pretty compelling service for seven bucks a month when you consider everything you're going to get like if you're if you're a uh, fan of Disney movies in general or Marvel or Star Wars specifically. I mean, 70 bucks a year 
Right. When a lot of these other services are are almost twice that or more, especially if you want them ad free, I feel like it's such a no brainer. And and the pundits are saying, well, yeah, it actually is smart because they want to get everybody on board, and then they'll do what Netflix is doing and gradually raise the price, which you can't really fault them for. That's just the way these things operate. But the fact that they're willing to come in that low means they want to get everybody on board with this thing. Like they're not right. trying to make it a boutique thing. They, they want everybody to have this. They want it to be like Netflix has kind of become, where everybody right. just assumes that everybody has Netflix. It's like running water. It's like, yeah, you've got Netflix, right? Like everybody mm-hmm. has Netflix. So it's pretty compelling for that price, I think. So it's yep. pretty impressive. So that'll be coming in November. So there'll be a lot of stuff on there that I'm sure we'll be watching and talking about each week. Yeah, no kidding. And uh, yeah, so just a couple of other things. This is actually pretty cool. So um, season two of Titans... Okay. will feature um, Bruce Wayne. They've cast an actor to play ah. Bruce Wayne in live action um, on season two of Titans. And it's someone, I'm not sure if you'll be able to picture them, but it's someone who's been in several things I know you've seen. So the actor's name is Ian Glenn. Um, he was in Game of Thrones. He was, um, according to his uh, resume, he was in Downton Abbey. He was in Resident Evil. He was in the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movie. He was in Kick-Ass 2. So I know you've seen a lot of stuff that he's been in. Um, he's sort of, he's like maybe 50-something uh, kind of craggly looking Welsh British kind of guy with yeah. like thinning um, light brown hair um, which I'm assuming he's going to dye black for the show yeah um, it's interesting that they're going older you know they're going like they, mm-hmm. there's Ben Affleck older Batman and then there's this guy older Batman this, mm-hmm. like this guy looks like he's over 50 the actor does okay um, so it's interesting that they're going that way on the show. And apparently the little blurb says that um, the context is going to be that he reaches out to Dick on the show trying to sort of mend fences. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that what we're seeing is like the season two is going to be at least partially about um, Dick and Bruce kind of reconciling and then presumably Dick transitioning to the Nightwing mantle, which sure. we kind of assumed would happen in season one. But season one kind of just focused on like that one plot of the whole Raven's parents thing with a right. little bit of Robin stuff on the side. So, um, so that's yeah, so cool. that's exciting. I didn't think they would actually do that. So now we know that season two of Titans is going to have Superboy and Cadmus, mm-hmm. uh, Deathstroke and his extended family and Bruce Wayne all in there. That's so it's so going to be cool. a pretty packed season. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is that DC announced that starting in July, there will be um, new 12 issue series, monthly series, uh, solo series for both uh, Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. And the Jimmy Olsen series will be written by Matt Fraction, who's a great writer. He's done X-Men stuff. He's done a bunch of other stuff. His, his, in, his independent work has won a bunch of awards, too. And the Lois Lane series, which I'm more excited about because of this fact, will be written by Greg Rucka, who's one of my favorite comic book writers of all time. Did an awesome run on Wonder Woman. You know, we've talked mm-hmm. about him before. Gotham mm-hmm. Central, Detective Comics, Action Comics. He's done a lot of great stuff. Um, Lois Lane is one of his favorite characters, if not his favorite character in, in comics. And he's, he's born to write like this hard-bitten, behind the lines investigative journalist you know street level stuff like that's that's his bread and butter like he's written tons of novels about like female pis and obviously Mm -hmm. wonder woman who excels at writing female superheroes he's great at writing female cops like Mm -hmm. renee montoya Mm -hmm. like and you know so i feel like he could really knock this one out of the park so that's cool so i'm looking forward to those two and that's it for our news wow great bit of news so what was your comic of the week so this week i picked batman issue number 68 um i'll keep it short and sweet i love it so much i know that we're still following the nightmares scenario of um bruce wayne being you know somehow somewhere kept in a sleep and he's his brain is playing tricks on him and each issue is a separate nightmare uh that he's reliving but this for a nightmare this is crazy beautiful because he basically dreamt of his and selena's 
respective bachelor bachelorette parties and um um selena hanging out with lois lane in the fortress of solitude drinking all the wines that ever were is just the best funniest awesomest thing i've ever seen <laughs> it was so fun and i couldn't resist and then there are the superman i'm uh, sorry no clark kent and uh, his own um quiet dinner party for two um at at wayne manor was just so beautifully awkward and quiet um as a juxtaposition to the romping good time that the ladies were having it was just a sight to behold and it was a lot of fun and but, but then there's that moment where the um where the jolly mood is kind of punctured by the by the reminder that this is actually a nightmare exactly. where clark says to bruce you know that you know there's a reason why this is your worst nightmare is right. because you, you, whether this is true or not, this mm -hmm. is what the nightmare is purporting: is that Bruce actually intentionally drove Selena away because the mananity of this and, and I love the, the line that Tom King wrote, and I'll see if I can remember it now. It Clark said, and again, this is not Clark really speaking. This is like some nightmare version sure. of him, and this is kind of like what Bruce thinks Clark would say, I exactly, guess, from a exactly. certain perspective. But I do think it ring, rings true. From like I could see the real Superman saying this: is mm -hmm. that Clark loves being Superman but hates that he has to be Superman or even that there has to be a Superman, you know? Right. Like he doesn't, he's not one of those people that's like, oh, I wish I didn't have these powers. He loves having his powers because he loves being able to help people, but he wishes those people... Didn't need help. He wishes that there wasn't violence. He wishes that there wasn't war. He wishes right. that there wasn't, you It's know, hard to look at the world and not yeah. go crazy, yeah. Whereas Bruce hates being Batman but secretly loves that he has to be Batman. Mm -hmm. Like he, he's, he's all torn up about his, his responsibility and Gotham needs me and I can never be happy, but he secretly takes joy in the fact that he's the only guy that can save Gotham. Mm -hmm. Like if it has to be somebody, at least it has to be me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I can play, I, I can, I can like elicit all these pity. For, I can elicit all this pity from my friends and everyone is going to be like, Oh, poor Bruce, how noble and self-sacrificing is. And he secretly eats that up, you know, mm -hmm. like whether that's true or not, it's just, it has the whiff of enough truth, mm -hmm. you know? That or, makes or, for a good nightmare. Or at the very least, it's the kind of thing that you could see Bruce in a moment of weakness believing about himself right. when presented to him in a certain way by this face that he trusts and mm -hmm. knows. Mm -hmm. That it's it's a really incisive. And so I love that that juxtaposition. Like, it was great, yeah. I could see Clark saying that about himself. Bruce would never admit that about himself, even if it were true, but that's what makes it such a powerful thing to say to him. And then things just immediately snap back to being the happy fun times, you know, right. until you get to the last page where we see him hooked up by mm -hmm. Flashpoint Batman, presumably, to like this crazy Mad Hatter-induced contraption, you know? Yep. Um, His own worst nightmare machine. So, sure. yeah, it was, it was... And, of course, you know, most of it is just having the, the yuck-yucks at the Fortress of Solitude. That was so but, fun. Yeah. That's, no, it was, it was really good. So It was a wonderful issue. I would I would pick that one, too, but I <laughs> want to give... Yes, but I want to give, just so we're not repeating ourselves, <laughs> I want to give honorable mention to uh, Titans number 36, which was the final issue. Oh, um, yes. So I've, I've enjoyed this recent arc um, with they go to Unearth and the team. Mm -hmm. Nightwing's that was gone. fun it's, and interesting. Nightwing's yeah. gone now. Kyle Rayner is there. I'm always up for more Kyle Rayner. He didn't really get a lot to do in this arc. He didn't really get a super good sense of like what he no, brought to the team. He got uniquely. trapped and then he stayed there. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> he got trapped and then he stayed there. But you know, yeah. he he was written well. He was written like he Kyle was. Rayner. He just didn't get a lot of stuff to do that was unique to him. You feel like it could have been a lot of other characters or even any other Green Lantern there, and it wouldn't made wouldn't have made much of a difference. It didn't really Fair. it didn't really play off much of what made Kyle unique as a Green Lantern, with the exception of the fact that he has unique knowledge of the Source Wall and stuff, because he was the one person that's traveled beyond the Source Wall and came back a White Lantern and everything. So he knows, about, right. and that's part of the bigger problem that they're trying to solve. So I guess that's why it had to be him. Mm -hmm. That's why Abnett wrote him into the story, but it didn't really come across.
across as like a uniquely Kyle Rayner story. But regardless, I kind of want to tip my hat to it because it's been a great series. Abnett's written the whole thing. Started off as basically a like a, a three years ago when Rebirth started. It was the whole Wally West is back. He's getting his friends to remember him, and it's the classic mm-hmm. original Titans coming together again. That yeah. was how it started. Um, the whole thing with Abracadabra and him trying to get Linda to remember who he was, and right. then it kind of became the Titans, a sort of a basic Titans team book with those characters. And then um, it, the Titans kind of broke up under the stern warnings of the Justice League, and then it mm-hmm. kind of became this new team that Nightwing put together with right, Miss Martian and Raven and everything. Um, and I've enjoyed that second that second phase of the series too, Iteration. although it felt mm-hmm. like they could have done a lot more with it, and it never really got off the ground like it they 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 came up with a new direction for the series but then it kind of immediately got caught up in the whole drowned earth aquaman crossover and there were only a handful of stories where they actually went out and tried to stop like the source wall infection into people that only happened a handful of times in like years worth of stories because they kept getting sidetracked by other things it happens sometimes a series kind of falls through the cracks and gets caught up in crossover after crossover and doesn't really find its own identity so i'm not really surprised that it got that it got canceled but i think i think it was probably selling well they actually moved it from monthly to bi-weekly when it got relaunched um and I don't think they would have done that unless it was selling. So I think it's like Green Arrow was probably canceled just because they have plans for those characters elsewhere. Right. Um, and they wanted to sort of move them on to something else. I, I did particularly enjoy in this last issue that it, that it kept flashing back to when Nightwing invited Raven to join the team. And she kind of finds strength in the end to save the day here because of the faith that he had in, had in her. Right. And I kind of like that because even because Nightwing's, you know, gone, see the Nightwing series and what's going on with him. You know, he's not gone forever. Obviously, I mean, everybody knows he's going to get his. I mean, all you have to do is look at Doomsday Clock where he's running around as Nightwing again. So you know that eventually he's going to get his memories back and be Nightwing again. I mean, I guess he could be Nightwing again without his memories. Right. Regardless, obviously, that's not a permanent change. So we know he's going to be back eventually. But, you know, these characters feel his absence. And so having his leadership and particular personality inspire these characters to overcome their obstacles Mm -hmm. is something that I... It's a nice way to wrap up the series because it kind of became... It kind of transitioned from being like... A, uh, Wally West focus series with the other Titans around him just because he was the new hot character that had just come back to the universe to like a Nightwing series with these other characters around him and so on, then all of a sudden he's gone mm-hmm. and so I liked that they kind of wrapped that up at the end and sort of made it brought it full circle Beautiful. like that so yeah, I did enjoy it as an ending mm-hmm. me too I so should we move on to your pub quiz slash game Let's do the game. Okay, so th- so we've ranked a bunch of Star Trek stuff recently. Yeah. And one of the last things we did was ranking the Star Trek series finales. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've ranked, so I thought this time we would rank the Star Trek pilots. Ooh, good. So these are, of course, so some of these are like debatable because for TOS, I had the cage in here. Technically, TOS has two pilots because they... Yeah. they one they is did, the unaired pilot. Right. There's the cage and then they literally ordered a second pilot. They didn't go direct to series with the new ones. They ordered a second pilot, which is not even the first episode of TOS that aired. Mm-hmm. I think the, the pilot of TOS was where No Man Has Gone Before, but that was like the third or fourth one to air. The first one to air, I think, was the one with that like salt vampire that that McCoy thought was like his old flame or something like that. If you remember way back to one of the oh, earliest Star Trek God, episodes yeah. we watched. Anyway, the cage, I think a lot of people would say is the pilot of Star Trek, the original series, the first one that was made. So you got okay. the cage, TNG, you've got Encounter at Farpoint, um, which is, I mean, it goes without saying, it's the one where, you know, you meet all the crew, but they go to the Farpoint station. Um, but there's this mystery. Q is there, right? You get the introduction of Q, and he's judging humanity based on how they perform at this task. Right. It turns out that the mystery of Farpoint station, spoilers for 
<laughs> 40-year-old, 30-year-old uh, TV pilot. Yeah. Um, turns out the mystery of Farpoint Station is actually a living organism. And so it, it comes up off the planet and it finds its mate and then they go off and be happy or whatever. And Q says, okay, you guys, you're, mm-hmm. I'm keeping my eye on you, but you did okay this time, Picard. Um, Deep Space Nine. Picard. Deep, yeah. Deep Space Nine. The pilot was called the Emissary. That's the one where Cisco goes to the station for the first time and meets everyone. Mm-hmm. Gal Dukat is there. He get, the, they discover the wormhole. Right. They have to protect the wormhole. The state. They have to move the station to the mouth of the wormhole and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That the it actually opens with you know Wolf three five nine where his wife dies at the hands of the Borg and so Picard is there too and he's got this tense relationship with Picard. Uh, Voyager, the caretaker. That's obviously the one where Voyager gets standing in the Delta Quadrant. They pick up Kess and Neelix. The Doctor comes online for the first time. Uh, they uh, blow up the caretaker's array rather than let the Kazon have it, and then they integrate with the Maquis crew and begin their journey home. Um, Enterprise was um, Broken Bow, which is the one that starts with a, a Klingon sort of raiding party on Earth, and they right, have to I take the Klingon back to Kronos. Yep. And so it's the launching. Of the, so Archer assembles his crew. DePaul's assigned to him. They go to Kronos. There's a the whole thing with the Sulaban for the first time and the, the mysterious shadowy figure from the future that's directing them. So you get introduced to all of that. Um, and then finally, Discovery uh, was the Vulcan Hello, which is that. the one that starts on the Shenzo with the arrival of the Klingons there at the uh, Binary Stars and the um, Michael going over in her little... EV rocket suit, discovering the Klingons, getting into a tussle with one of them, and then ultimately mutinying at the end against Giorgio and the big battle beginning at the binary stars there. Um, so how would you rank these? Hmm. Um, I think the Vulcan Hello is the best one. You think it's the best pilot? Yes, I do. I think that's actually. I think you could actually make a strong case for that. It, it's, it's hard to, because Star Trek has traditionally had poor pilots mm-hmm. like the it, it's an it's an it's an old saw at this point that the first season with the exception of the original series which the first season was the best although whether that's necessarily reflected in the pilot or not is arguable tos first season was the best they lost a lot of their best writers and producers and stuff after the first season kind of went downhill but tng and deep space nine especially didn't really get super good until two or three years in mm-hmm Voyager, you can make the case that it was pretty good from the beginning, but this, but its first season was definitely not its best. Enterprise, first season definitely not its best, but I still think had a pretty good pilot. Mm-hmm. But Discovery is was was strong from minute one. That's one of the things that a lot of even the even the people so that aren't big Discovery fans. So you do your ranking fans, first, and then I'll give you mine. Okay. Well, I was just going to say that even people that aren't huge Discovery fans will mm-hmm. generally agree that it has one of the strongest first seasons of any Star Trek show. It definitely Cause it, cause solidly, it, it knows itself. It knows, it knows who, who, who it was, even though it went through like three different sets of showrunners over the course of the, over a course of a year. So it's actually remarkable that it worked out as well as it did. Yeah. Um, it's hard. I mean, I think the cage is actually, how well it works as a pilot, mm-hmm. like how well it works as like a launching point for a series is debatable. I probably not very well. Hence the fact that it didn't go to series based on the first one. But just as a piece of science fiction, as like a as like an episode of the Twilight Zone, for example, it just happens to be set on this spaceship. I think it's actually a really good bit of science fiction and a character examination for the character of Pike. But as a pilot for a, an ongoing show, I don't think it really tells you very much about what the show is going to be. That's not their fault necessarily. It's just the show ultimately become be, ended up becoming something very different because mm-hmm. they brought on William Shatner and overhauled pretty much the entire cast. So it doesn't give you a very good sense of what Star Trek is going to be. Um, but just as an episode of television, I think it's actually very good. I think it's one of the stronger episodes of the original series, actually. Um, but as a pilot, maybe not so much. Encounter at Farpoint is pretty poor. Emissary is better 
Um, just because I think Deep Space Nine generally had stronger writing from the beginning, because this is the same people that had already been working on Deep Space on, on TNG for four or five years, so they knew how to write good Star Trek. Mm-hmm. It's just they needed to find their footing with this different version a little bit. I think, yeah, I think... And the first episode of Enterprise was actually quite good, too. Like, I think it was better than probably the best episode of the first season. I think that they, they had a really good pilot, and then it just sort of became, as people will often say about the first couple of seasons of Enterprise, just like just more TNG or more Voyager. Like, mm-hmm. they didn't really... The first season, like, wow, they're going out there. Nobody's ever done this before. Nothing works right. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't know who anybody is. They're not used to working alongside the Vulcans. They don't know how well the warp engine is going to work. Like... They, they go to this weird alien planet and they're, they're having to learn how to interact with aliens because they're bringing their own human biases to things. Mm-hmm. I thought all that was really interesting and then a lot of it didn't really pay off very much. So I think, yeah, I think I'd have to say um, Vulcan Hello, The Cage, um, Caretaker. I think Voyager actually had a really good pilot. I agree. Um, it is higher up but on it, my But again, ranking. didn't pay off on a lot of it, right? Because they set up the whole conflict with the Maquis. The crews are going to have to work together. That's going to be really interesting. But mm-hmm. by episode two, pretty much everybody's buddy-buddy. So again, set up a lot of stuff. But as, it, as itself, you know, in and of itself, I think actually a really good pilot and really good episode. So I think uh, Vulcan Hello, The Cage, um, Caretaker, mm, Emissary, Broken Bow, Encounter at Farpoint. I think I'd have to. I think I'd have to go that. that. I think I think I have to put emissary. Broken Bow is a good pilot. Emissary is weird in a lot of ways because so much of it takes place with Cisco talking to the prophets mm-hmm. in like this weird white room and everything, and you like just kind of get on with it a little bit. But all that stuff ends up being super important. So mm-hmm. as a pilot, you got to do the. You got to lay the groundwork. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, I think that'd be my order. How about you? Yours is Vulcan me, Hello at the top. Vulcan Hello is at the top. Um, and I'm I'm having trouble filling in which one to prioritize next because I know my current thinking Voyager and um, Deep Space Nine had really strong pilots that not only are good episodes in and of themselves, but also lay the groundwork for the rest of the series. Um, but in terms of successful execution, I think I'm going to have to side with you on this one and say that Voyager is better than Deep Space Nine, even though I enjoy Deep Space Nine a little more. Um, I enjoyed both a lot, but Voyager's, the concept was strong. There really wasn't that much that I can say didn't pay off because um, all the characters were successfully introduced and the, and solidly placed at the beginning of their arcs a lot of characters were more more interesting in the caretaker than they were ever again i think you could argue that chakotay and tom paris particularly were never more interesting than they were in this episode chakotay was chakotay had a bit of an edge to him he was a man of action he was a terrorist right like he was a a principled Mm -hmm. man who'd become a terrorist yeah um Paris was like an was like a convict, right? Yes, and so he was. had this like bad boy kind of thing going yep. on. Yep. Um, and and the reason why, and I've heard this said in interviews, the reason why they kind of got away from that over the course of the first year or two, there was a little bit of that early on. But once he sure. became best pals with Harry Kim, and especially once he started getting together with Bolana, mm-hmm. he had sort of become like he'd just become a nice guy, just right. generally. Mm-hmm. They even paid. They even kind of pl- played on that a little bit where they did this whole thing where you, they make you think that he's turning bad again. He was actually right. just a trick yep. they were playing. And that, to, was, uh, that was deliberate. Like um, they didn't fill in the rest of the, but mm-hmm, a lot of it, that. But a lot good. of it, but the writers said a lot of it just has to do with Robert Duncan McNeil is actually just like the nicest guy the in nicest person. person. And they couldn't help but make the character a nice guy too. I'm not sure that's really the a writer's job, you know yeah. what I mean? But 
you know. But that's what happened. That's that's just what kind of happened. But yep. I feel like Chakotay, like going back and watching it after watching seven seasons of Voyager, I'm like, wow, Chakotay's a really compelling guy in this first episode. Yep. But mm-hmm. it just they just made him like kind of a, a bland Native yeah. American pastiche yeah. yes it's man sad, kind of yeah. for the rest of the show. Exactly. And I don't know. Yeah, it was kind of a bummer. But yeah, but in that first episode, all the characters are really interesting. Mm-hmm, exactly. Possible exception like Harry Kim, but he was never really that interesting. I like him fine, <laughs> but he's never not what you would call an interesting, no, compelling true. character. It's true. Um, and Neelix. Neelix started off as like this weird, quirky scavenger guy yeah. who happens to have like the secret love who for the Who hasn't had like a bath and, and then water he becomes like the, 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 friend, like the friendly, friendly joie de vivre guy on the yeah. ship. But the, when he was like this pack rat, trader, informant guy, yeah. like this weird... Um, this weird like mercenary character that they have to have on the ship mm -hmm. for information that's super interesting but Mm -hmm. then they just immediately made him a super nice guy because everybody in the Star Trek show has to be a super nice guy right right? they tamed him real quick yeah Yeah. Um, yeah so but still I mean the pilot itself was wonderful um then yeah, then Deep Space Nine because there were a couple, mm, there were a couple holes in it where Voyagers did not have as many. The pacing in Emissary the is weird. Was it goes into all the proper stuff and it just it, kind of though. grinds to a halt. A little, a little, a little. I mean, I like, I liked it because it was still a interesting way it was unusual for star trek to introduce characters that way and to also introduce so heavily the element of what is what constitutes one man's science is another man's religion i like that all that stuff is great i do think it's worth saying though that avery brooks in the first oh, year without or two, him, that show would not have. Well, that's well, I don't know. Well, that's that's a bigger argument. I I really like him. He's great. He's great um, as Cisco. Once they start giving him more interesting stuff to do, but I feel like for the first year or two, it's hard to kind of get a read on Cisco. Sometimes he just seems like a slightly angrier version of the traditional Star Trek captain. Sometimes, like he's more of like roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty kind of guy. But otherwise, is kind of the typical Starfleet captain. I to me, it's the, when they started leaning into like, oh, he's also the emissary. Which, despite the fact that the pilot is called the emissary, doesn't really get into that very much at all. Hmm. Once they started having him have to have to weigh his responsibilities as a religious leader and a Starfleet captain, and they had and they played up the fact that oh, his son is gr- getting older now too, so he had to deal with that and the relationship with Cassidy and the war stuff too. Like he actually becomes like a wartime captain which is something we hadn't really seen in, in a star trek show before right that all made him a lot more interesting but the first couple of seasons he's he has a very particular like shatner has a very um idiosyncratic um delivery line mm-hmm. delivery sometimes yeah and and he himself has said that he felt really um off balance and sort of unsure of, of himself and his performance for the first year or two mm-hmm. because and it's a silly thing but who knows what makes actors tick sometimes is the fact that they didn't let him shave his head he said this now this is it's like maybe like homer's lucky bat or something right like but it's yeah. whatever it's whatever you get in your head sometimes mm-hmm. and it's whatever it is like he he for the course of most of his career had like a goatee and a shaved head and that's yep. what made him feel comfortable mm-hmm. as an actor mm-hmm. but they said we just had a bald captain we don't want to have we don't want to become the thing that all star trek captains have to be bald so it was like in his contract that he has to have he has to shave his beard and have hair and he just didn't feel comfortable he didn't feel like himself mm-hmm. and i think it kind of shows in the performance and he himself has admitted as much when they got to the point where he shaves his head and he's got the goatee and he rides in on the defiant he's like here's the defiant i've come to you know mm-hmm. that's that's when you get like peak that's that's the cisco that's pe- right that's, that's the, the cisco, cisco right? yeah <laughs> before that he's just kind of like proto cisco and and so going back and watching you You'd be surprised that because you've only seen it through once. Yes. If you were to go back and watch Emissary now, I think you'd be surprised how just a little bit off mm. a lot of the characters are. Like Quark is a Quark is a little 
too mean. Odo's a little too standoffish. Kira, Kira, do you and you remember? You I actually do. found Kira kind of. I hate to use the word shrill when it comes to a female character on a show because it's such a stereotype. You actually kind of found her too forceful, too off-putting at first. Just mean, antagonistic. Yeah, you found yeah, her I to did. be too I, abrasive. I said so, yeah. And Cisco, I think you'd be surprised if you went back and watched, comes off I as a little weird too. And Bashir, of course, see, was super thing, like though. wet behind the ears and irritating. Yeah. O'Brien is really the only one who was fully formed from the beginning, and that's because he had already been playing the character for five years exactly. on the next generation. So here's what I think was happening, is that when you conceptualize a pilot, sometimes you don't even have a character in your mind. No, I know. Let I just, understand. Let me just... Uh, um, I think that... They were, they just, you know, drew these character arcs and wrote a few sentences in whatever character Bible they were building at the time. And they cast to those characteristics without really fleshing them out. But over the course of the series, that's what happens is that the the actor gets more comfortable in the role. The writer starts to see what that role could be. They start to really meld together and the lines between where the writer ends and the the showrunner ends and the actor ends that starts to get blurred into a beautiful soup of three-dimensional character goodness and that can't happen in a pilot where you're starting something new so a lot of the time unless they've like Buffy the Vampire Slayer had a really awesome pilot from what you told me because they did it twice (laughs) the first time they did it they they it, it it didn't you know, it didn't go anywhere. That's not what aired. What aired was already something that they had they had time to 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 wrestle with, toy with, like Play-Doh, and then find the actors um, who had already done it once through, and then those actors had time to spend with the characters too. So it really felt lived in when you watched it, uh, when you watched the pilot, but that's because that wasn't the first thing that they did. This is the first thing that they did, and that's why everything seems so... Hmm, two-dimensional yeah, because I, I understand all the mitigating factors but when you're when you're someone like me who's watched the series through multiple times and so you don't just have your your rosy memory of what the pilot sure. was but you having seen the whole series you go back and watch the pilot again and it can't help but suffer a little bit in comparison because you know how great the series becomes but right. you're like everything's a little bit off and mm-hmm. it feels weird and that can't mm-hmm. help but color it in your memory a little bit i think the same would probably happen I'm for sure. you if you went back and beat i'm it sure so you so vulcan hello so one, one more time for the one more time, um, I'm going to say Voyager for second place um, and um, uh, Deep Space Nine for third place. And then what's left? Enterprise, TNG, and TOS. Enterprise, TNG, and TOS in that order. You put the cage at the bottom? I put the cage, the cage is your cage least at favorite the pilot? bottom. It is my least favorite Is it pilot. because you don't like it as an episode or you feel like it doesn't work very well See, as a pilot? See, that's the thing. It's a pilot. We're ranking pilots now, so I, I have to be a little bit more strict about well, it. Well, yeah, I, I talked about that too, how I'm not sure how well it I works know, as a pilot. And, and I know, as an episode, to I reiterate, I, I, And to reiterate your point, as an episode, it's really a strong case of introducing a character and a strong case for a, a strong demonstration of what science fiction can be and imagination can be. But... We're talking about pilots, and so I'm a little bit more stringent about where that, what that means. Here's the thing, though. I agree with you in the sense that it doesn't really give you too much a taste of, like, with the characters and the crew that you're going to get to know. And even really... It does give you the spirit of what Gene Rodmary So here's what I was going to gonna say. It, it works. I think it, even though it might not give you a really great sense of what you're going to be getting from the characters or even, like, the tone of the stories from week to week watching Star Trek mm-hmm. in the 60s, I feel like it actually does give you a pretty good job of telling you what Star Trek is about, you know? Because right. all of the like all the multi 
racial crew working like number one was right there like a female first officer was right there from the very first episode and it tells you that you're going to get weird sci-fi concepts but viewed through through the lens of the human condition you know telling interesting sci-fi stories that 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 are about ultimately they're about people yes and the human condition and what we could be Mm -hmm. and how we see the world and Mm -hmm. stuff so how to be our best selves right so i'm not sure it works super well as as an episode of TOS, or even as the first episode of TOS, but as as sort of like a, a prologue for the Star Trek franchise to sort of tell you the kind the scope of stories and the tone of stories you're going to get. I think it, it actually works in a, that broader historical context. Mm-hmm. Actually, works well as that kind of meta. Oh yeah, absolutely. Know? This is a meta pilot. This is a really good meta pilot. But that's not what their intention was, and so I, I have know. to sort of deg- knock them back. You know what though? I'm gonna throw in a curveball and tell you that. Enterprise for me ranks higher than Deep Space Nine in terms of pilot. Yeah, I can see that. Enterprise had a really good Enterprise. Uh, pilot. Enterprise. We talked about this when we were talking about season finales of like Voyager versus some of the others. Sure. Is that I think that the Enterprise pilot succeeded better at what it was trying to do mm-hmm. than the Deep Space Nine pilot succeeded at what it was trying to do. But nailed it. As was often the case with Deep Space Nine, it was trying to do things that were way more complicated and way more interesting than any other Star Trek series. Also, so true. not surprising that it kind of fell short a mm-hmm. little bit. So it all depends on whether you want to give it points for trying or only points for execution. Um, we no, had the I'm same discussion when we talked about the points for execution. Yeah, we talked. Yeah. We had the same discussion where we were talking about the finales that the Voyager, that the Voyager finale or the Enterprise finale or whatever else. Right. You know, did it, despite their aiming lower, did really well at what they were trying to do better than you know, in some ways that he's. I gotta tell you, I mean, Enterprise classic, had a really interesting sort of. It, it, it walked the line of action film and sci-fi like it was the pilot specifically yeah the pilot specifically I yeah. mean it started out with a really cool and they, sort of establishing they did that intentionally I'm sure because they set. were trying to re- rebrand Star Trek as a cooler younger skewing and sexier franchise it. and they hence all it. the decontamination scenes and the oh, sexy right. Vulcan on the bridge and everything and so I think it was no coincidence yeah. that they had a lot of action like was there even a single phaser fired in there was in the no in the in, in the, the next gen pilot in the next gen pilot oh, in the was next there even a single pilot. phaser being fired? Do you know? I can't even remember. I think Riker might have used his phaser to clear away some rocks or something underground Farpoint Station, <laughs> really? but I but I but there wasn't any. There was no fist. There was no fist fights, and then there was no ship to ship combat. The Enterprise was trying to get away from Q's sort of weird grid sphere thing that was right. trying to encompass it, and there was the closest there came to an action sequence in Encounter at Farpoint was the saucer separation, which took like fifteen minutes. Yeah. Um. But it was kind of cool to see. Once, you know, but then every time know, they did it subsequently, it's like again with the Sasser separation, so they kind of stopped doing it. Right. Um, but yeah. All right. So yeah. No, I think that's. I think that's good. I think that it's. Yeah. It's. It's weird because it's. I feel like a lot of there. It's kind of in some ways it's sort of the inverse of our mm-hmm. series finale rankings. Yeah. Although I guess we don't really know the series finale of Discovery can end up being at the top two, bum, and so bum, it wouldn't be. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. So should we move on to our shows? Ready. So we have uh, Star Trek Discovery, Legends of Tomorrow, and uh, Doom Patrol. Last Don't week's let me forget we have a listener question yes, for Yes, I know. Okay, I know. all right. Um, <laughs> so Star Trek Discovery, we, we probably shouldn't dwell on too much because it's part one of the two-part finale, so okay. it probably makes more sense to talk about it Why in don't context. we just talk about those both the next time? Well, yeah. If only it, The only only thing I'll say about about this episode is that it, it continues to... What, what, I, we've, what we've said a lot this season continues to be true, which is... Um, the characters are fantastic. The characters yeah. are, are compelling some of the best Star Trek characters, like Saru, this version of Pike, yeah. Killy, Stamets, Burnham, this version of Spock. 
mm-hmm. you know, Tyler, all really some of the most interesting, Colbert. well-performed, mm-hmm. well-written characters in all of Star Trek. The individual scenes, fantastically written. Yeah. Obviously, the show looks fantastic. Yeah. But sometimes this show, I feel like they need to let off the gas sometimes mm. because they kind of, I feel like they get ahead of themselves and kind of like, wait, why haven't they talked about doing this? Or wait, why is this happening? Or wait, what is this new thing you've just introduced? Like, they talk about how Burnham's got to go to the future to do the thing. But there's like, well, wait, haven't you talked about, wait, if she's responsible for the signals, you know that she's able to come back or at least communicate back in time. Maybe, maybe not, but I feel like there should at least be, someone should raise that point. You know Mm -hmm. that you're not saying goodbye to her forever if you also know that she's responsible for sending the signals back in time. But nobody raises that point. But I don't understand why there's value in that. Like why somebody, I mean, yeah, you don't die. But here's the thing, though. You're saying goodbye forever because they don't know at this point whether that's for the signals. They don't know what they they don't don't know. They don't give a darn that she sent back. Like I wouldn't care if somebody moved halfway across the world beyond my communication and reach if if I get like a little tiny postcard blip in the mail once every you know however many but like they seven still times have in no idea lifetime. they like still have no idea how these how these signal value. how these signals work if they're being delivered manually somehow and they just haven't seen or come up on centers the person responsible or if they're being sent remotely from the future they they don't know the fact the, the um, my only point is that there's there's a variable here and like there's only one thing they know about what's going to happen to Burnham after she goes to the future and that according to their current line of thinking, is that she's somehow going to be able to send these signals back in time. Why, why is she doing that? Why are there signals that are, that, have been, that are yet to have been seen? What is her ultimate goal? Like, It might not affect their decision to send her into the future, but these are factors involved in, that, that, have, that are at play in this scenario when they're sending her to the future and they think they're saying goodbye to her forever. They know that there's more that's going to happen to her that involves them. And I feel like at least somebody should raise the point and say, wait a minute, if she's going to go to the future, then maybe this isn't goodbye because like, it might, she might still need to do the thing. But I feel like at least there should have been a line somewhere where they're like, even though we think you are going to be able to communicate with us, we can't be sure. So we still have to, you know what I mean? At the, at, it, they raise something and then they never come back to it again. And it's like, wait a minute, isn't that important? Like at the very least, somebody should raise their hand and say, wait a minute, is that important? Should we talk about this? But they just barrel straight through it, you know? She's and 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 suddenly maybe I'm being a little short-sighted. Maybe I'm falling into whatever trap that the authors, uh, sorry, the writers have exactly wanted to set up. But I don't see. I'm coming back to the same point, like. All they have to go on right now, and what you've just said, is that she goes away, red signals are still being sent in the locations where they know they're going to be sent. And not only that, but they haven't received all the red signals yet. So, all you know that you're going to have is that she'll survive the journey into the future, but you'll still never see her again, and she will send back signals to whatever. That's as far as they know. But they don't know that, because there's, there's two more there's two they or three hope more signals. maybe that she'll... There's two uh, or three more signals yet to be found. So why doesn't somebody say, wait a minute, maybe the last two or three signals are going to reveal a plan by Michael when she's been sent to the future that will help us get her back? Because otherwise, if, if sending her to the future solves the problem, what would the then point why did, that be? Well, but if sending her to the future solves the problem, then what's the point of the last couple of signals? They're completely extraneous. The only, the only thing they could be for... No, the signals lead the people to where the Red Angel is going to be. That's why they right. exist. But if they're about to send her into the future right now, like five minutes after this yeah. episode. If that solves the whole problem, what are the last couple of signals going to do? 
We don't, like, right, 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 we don't right. know. They don't know. But at least somebody should have said, wait a minute. If there's a couple more signals yet to come, maybe that's going to reveal some secret brilliant plan by future Michael to help us get her back. But mm-hmm. nobody even mentions that. Like, it, it may or may not I be, may or may not be relevant, but I feel like at least somebody should raise their hand and say, wait a minute. There's a factor here that we, that we haven't considered. Considered. And it's, it's, but still, there's, I mean, there's no guarantee. But that's no. the thing, though. I mean, look there's at no what guarantee. happened with. Look at what happened with my. You're, you're. It doesn't matter. It's like sending somebody off to war. Like there's the hope and the potential that that person will come back. But let's be honest, they're going into a very dangerous, sticky situation. Know, but, like but that's not. The, these. That's these not something episodes, to smile at. That's not something that they should go. Oh, hey, okay. Uh, best of luck to you. No, the, but these episodes throw a lot at you. They throw a lot of new concepts and a lot of new information. There's new revelations all the time. But there's very few scenes with the characters do what I think that you would do in real life which is just take a minute stop and think like wait a minute let's look at what we know and let's try to see let's reassess if this is like the most the smartest thing to do going forward like it might not fit in with the high paced mm-hmm. pace of this show but there's Star Trek history is replete with the characters sitting down in that damn boardroom <laughs> and saying okay what do we know right. Data you get up there and point at this little screen and tell us things that we already know just to make it super clear for the audience right <laughs> maybe that's a relic of 80s and 90s television that we what we need is some good expository text that Data we, that we've grown beyond or whatever but I feel like when you're throwing this much stuff at the audience just just take a second because if the audience is because when I'm watching some of these episodes and I've watched a lot of Star Trek <laughs> and a lot of science fiction at this point so have I I'm a pretty <laughs> I'm a pretty smart guy, but sometimes in these episodes, I'm like, wait a minute, why are they, like, not specifically why are they sending Michael to the future? I get that, but I'm like, wait a minute, why are they doing this? Or it's like, why is this, like, does that character know that that other character knows this thing? Like, I can't think of any really good examples right now off the top of my head, mm-hmm. but just oftentimes when watching Discovery, I'm like, wait a minute, do they think that this is going to have this effect or that effect? Or like, wait, why are they doing this and not this? Like, there was an explanation, mm-hmm. but it went by so quick and nobody... You know, nobody reiterated it, and like I feel like it could have been made clear to the audience. And and again, like it's not like I'm not used to watching these things. Right. So I feel like there's sometimes they just they barrel ahead when they could slow down, and it's not like they didn't have time because God knows they took every five seconds in this episode. Michael was being pulled aside by a different yeah. person to have a heartrending farewell, whether yeah. it's Sarah and Amanda or Ash Tyler or her friends assembled in the hallway. There, they kept saying. <laughs> Pike was like, Michael, I told you to come to the bridge 20 minutes ago. Yeah. But she keeps having these tearful farewells with other characters. So don't tell me that the ticking clock was too important. They could have spent an extra couple of minutes discussing their options. Anyway, in the long run, it doesn't matter because I'm sure the finale will make everything clear. But I just don't think that they were looking that far ahead because they were sending her off to goodness knows where and they were heartbroken about having to say goodbye. And I don't think that... Hey, let's remember this one little tiny detail about the signals that we have yet to have. It's not even a, it's not even necessarily that the characters need to be asking these questions for their sake as characters. It's more that I feel like there are times when I, as part of the audience, wishes that the the current situation could just be reframed very clearly before they launch before they launch in. Like just 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 make sure I understand why this is happening and sometimes they just barrel straight into it. Okay. You're hoping you'll get swept up in the drama of the adventure. And I'm like, wait, are they when they do this jump, is this like is this are they doing this jump because this is the final jump to do the thing or are they doing this jump to get to the thing? Like they just go and you're just being swept up with it. But I just sometimes I just wish they would slow down a little bit and it would let the character moments breathe a bit more. And I feel like they kind of gloss over some things which sometimes don't make a lot of sense where like 
they jump to this this planet where Queen Poe is, right? Yes. And even though it's going to take the Enterprise a couple of hours to warp there from where Discovery had just left their rendezvous with the Enterprise, yes. suddenly somehow Sarek and Amanda are within shuttle range. So their shuttle is able to dock with the Discovery, have this conversation with Michael. And like, is Poe's planet next door to Vulcan? How are Sarek and Amanda able to get there so quick when it's taking the Enterprise at maximum warp? Like, I guess Poe's planet could be, like, in the system next to Vulcan, but that's an awfully big coincidence. You know what I mean? They're just barreling through so quickly that you don't have time to ask, wait, how did Sarek and Amanda get there so quickly? But you didn't remember the part where Sarek uh, and Amanda knew to take the journey because, I mean, who knows how long they were traveling and who knows how well, long we, ago we know, that was. Because assuming the scenes that we saw are, take pla- are taking place in chronological order, this, ep- this whole episode takes place actually more or less in real time. Because as soon as they as soon as they leave the Enterprise, they're like, okay, it's going to take the Enterprise an hour to catch up to us. And the episode is almost an hour long. So the et- episode takes place more or less in real time. Unless that scene with Sarah and Amanda was like a flashback to something that happened a week ago or something. Yeah, maybe. They must have been... But it's like, it's but stuff like not- that. Like, wait, they just happened to be there? Like, maybe there's a logical explanation for it, but they didn't give us one. And well, it's stuff like said, that that kind of bugs I mean, me. that... They said that uh, Sarek felt something was off by yes, him, and they, they set out on the journey at that point. I don't know what else. But that was like, they got, there, like, they, they got there in 20 minutes. It's like... I don't think they did, though. That's what I'm telling you. I think that whatever nightmare that they shared was if you're gonna show hours the scene, before that, If you're going to show scenes to us, the audience, that are not in the order that you're presenting them to us, you need to put the little thing on the screen that says, a week ago, or something like that, or else the audience is going to be confused, like I was. I'm not confused. Well, I think you just didn't think about it. Like, it's n- not, no knock against you. You're not supposed to think about it. They just want you to get swept up in the story. And you got swept up in the story, and I got caught on some of these little things. Like, wait, how did mm. they get there so fast? I Maybe mean, there's I've an explanation. Thing. I've done that same thing before, definitely. I like to nitpick on the writing thing. But this time, I just, for me, it was not needed. Yeah. It's just some, sometimes I feel like they, they want That's you to get... It's tough to strike a balance, because everybody has a different threshold. Sorry to cut you off just now, but... Everybody has a different threshold for what sticky wickets they get stuck on and what they don't mind when they get swept up in the story is a threshold that's different for everybody. Because like that, that's usually a thing that I get hung up on when a writer doesn't elucidate uh, a sequence successfully. I, I'm usually the one making this point. Yeah, and it's I kind of interesting to me that now we're on the different sides A lot of, <laughs> it, is, a lot of it is just not clearly setting the ground rules because mm. they, in, they throw a lot of concepts at you like the control AI and the, the signals and the Red Angel suit and the spore drive even going back to season one. And yep. they, they give you enough about how they work and why so that you can understand what's happening. But there's still so many things we don't understand about them that they, they can throw you some new piece of information. And you're like, wait, is that how it works? Like there's time crystals, but there's like no time to explain that. Let's just go get the time crystals. It's sure. like If you're going to introduce so many crazy new concepts that have never been seen in Star Trek before, just take a second and and like establish the ground rules more thoroughly so that we're not constantly wait what like when they introduce some new wrinkle like mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's all yeah. it is and so I, I i enjoy the episodes as i'm watching them but there's oftentimes with with this show because they pack so much in there i love and it don't always i love heavily give you the details that you, that that i need to shows. like fully be and, and you know engaged engaged in what's happening that afterwards i'm like wait a minute so why would they like i bet if i were to show you a random episode from the season out mm-hmm. of order mm-hmm. you would forget 
a lot of like like wait remind me why are they going there or like what which signal are they following or like what do they know about michael's mother or whatever by this point because a it's serialized and so you're you're like watching the men of order is, is a problem but i feel like if i were to show you a random episode of of like the dominion war arc from deep space nine you would not be confused about what's going on but i bet if i were to show you a random episode from midway through this season you'd be like wait what do they know about this like do they do they know yet that control is bad or do they know yet that that leland has got the thing or do they know yet that the red angel signals are are the signals are different from the red angel appearances and because they're you know what i mean like there's so much they've got so many balls in the air and some episodes deal with some of them and some of them don't that they just you know they don't they just need to hold your hand a little bit more, I think, in, in the way that other Star Trek series, even when they got very complex and serialized, still took the time to make sure that you under so when something important happened, like when there was a big turning point in the Dominion War story in D Space Nine, you it felt important because the pacing was such that when a huge thing happened, you're like, whoa, this is big. Like they've spent all season building up to this. But on this show, big things happen every five minutes. Crazy new concepts are introduced, crazy new characters, things that we never saw before in Star Trek are, are thrown out there so quickly. Like Are you when, not enjoying the show? No, I'm really I love the show. But I love heavily plot thicket plot thick but stories my, this is my jam but my, my, i was waiting for this star trek but my criticism is that everything else to me moves so slowly but it's like it's star trek that's perpetually turned up to to 11 i love it it's but, like a roller coaster but when everything is big and bright and splashy and important and and dramatic and this is the fate of the galaxy's stake then then nothing there's no there's no um texture very well there's no right. variability in it like in deep space nine you had the quiet moments and the funny one-off no quiet moments in this but the quiet moments that are like there's a literally a ticking clock like michael's got to get to the bridge like you've got five seconds before we've got to send you to the future it's like there's a ticking clock or there's so many huge things going on the ship is under fire like the quiet moments in this show are usually like there's something hanging over like there's a specter of this massive event that's about to happen or this thing that's currently happening or this thing that they've got to get to or this thing that they've got to rescue whoever from and the quiet moments are are therefore like heightened by those things but as, as a result like when you when a show for to have like a dramatic texture to it kind of needs to have peaks and valleys mm -hmm. for every in the pale moonlight you need to take me out to the hollow suite you know like you need you need you but that's what makes the dramatic important moments on d space nine feel so impactful is that you've lived with these characters and their quieter moments and their funnier moments and their sillier moments. And so when you see them thrown into like this life or death situation, it has more impact. But when every situation you see these characters in is super flashy and explosions and crazy things happening, it, it starts to just become white noise after a while, you know? So it's not that I'm not enjoying the show. I'm really enjoying the show. But if I had one critique with it... It's to just slow down and let it breathe a little more. Because my favorite, I've said this last time too, my favorite episodes of the season were the one where they go to Terralesium mm -hmm. and the one where they go to Talos 4. And those were like, yeah, they had more in common with traditional Star Trek episodes, but that's not the only reason why I like them. It's that they were slower paced. The characters were like investigating something. They were learning about things. They were they went off in a little team, so it wasn't like all the characters shouting at each other really on the bridge, you know? It, it was slower. It was quieter. You know, the scenes with Spock and Burnham on Talos 4 and then Pike seeing the woman again, you know, in his mind and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah. Or the quieter scenes between Stamets and Culber. Like, when you look back on the season, the moments that are going to stand out for you because of how strong the characters are, the performances and the writing, are the character moments. You're going to remember the moments between Spock and Burnham or the moments between 
Culber and Stamets or Tilly and Burnham or Pike and Burnham, right? But all the all the Red Angel stuff, you can like wait, like what 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 really was that? Like a lot of it a year from now is just gonna become a blur in your mind, but you're gonna remember the character moments. And so I just think that they should they need to find a better balance between the loud and the quiet instead of because the character moments are what make the show really sing. Mm. You know, as mm-hmm. as great as the effects are and the action and the music and everything, I feel like a better balance could be struck where you're 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 not always feeling like they're having they're trying to rush through the character moments to get back to the action, which is sometimes what I feel like. They, they they've got so much stuff they want to jam in here that's like, okay, you can have your one little your moment, your goodbye between Tyler and Burnham, but it needs to be three lines of dialogue and a kiss and no more because she's got to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You can let, like on TNG, they would sometimes have a whole act between commercial breaks that would just be like two characters in a room talking. I think you're ever going to see that on this show because there's, there's got just too much going on. You know, you're never going to have a scene that's just like Riker and Picard sitting in a room talking for 10 minutes mm-hmm. with the shot reverse shot. You know what I mean? And it's just... Maybe TV has gotten faster pace and higher octane and all these other things, but I think there's still room, especially in Star Trek, which can be a slower, more ponderous show when it wants to be. I think they just need to bring back some of those. So, you know, just just let it let it breathe a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know what, for season three what they've got planned, but I hope that there are more episodes that are sort of one-off episode yep. of the week kind of things, you yeah. know, like those other episodes were. And that, that they can have a season-long arc, but... It doesn't necessarily need to be firing all the time, like the characters being propelled from one episode to the other by the meta plot. You can have smaller moments in there too. Anyway, that would be my critique. I'm still really enjoying it. Still, like I'd say, it and Doom Patrol are probably the two shows I'm enjoy- enjoying my most right yeah. now that we're watching. Um, but Doom it, Patrol is so crazy. We'll talk about. But that as someone who's watched Star Trek for his entire life. Yeah. There are certain things that I value about Star Trek, and some of it does have to do with the, the slower character moments mm-hmm. and the fact that they that there's a certain they have room. They, they let they let the episodes like slow tra- Star Trek has always been like slower pace and say Star Wars, its equivalent Star well, Wars. We liked the stories. Harry Mud episode of Deep, of Discovery. Right, that was fast paced too, but it was the same moment. The same few moments over and over again. Right. So, so it kind of kind became, of in a weird way, slow pace because you yeah. were spending a whole episode with three or four moments. It's just you were seeing them over and over again. Right. You know? And it was interesting. And that was a character study. Exactly. But in the, and all the sci-fi weirdness and action and comedy with Harry Mudd and stuff was, was the... the the, the, set, the setting for the it. Setting, the bones yes. of the story. Mm-hmm. But what you remember about that episode right. is the character moments. Yep. You know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I just, I, I think, I hope that they become more aware of that as it goes on. And, and look, I mean, we talked about how Star Trek shows often take a couple of years to find their footing. I'd say that Discovery's had the best first two seasons on average um, yeah. out of any Star Trek show. Yep. I mean, first season, the only the only only comparable one maybe be TOS, which had a great first season. Like, almost all the best TOS episodes are in season one, but season two drags it down a little bit, whereas Discovery, I think, only improved in season two. Um I don't know. I really liked season two as well. Wasn't that where Trouble with Tribbles was? There were great and, episodes in season um, two, but I but pretty much everybody. The city on the edge of tomorrow. I can't remember that whether was season two, whether that was season two or not, but but pretty much everybody agrees that that ep- season one went from like hit to hit, whereas season two there were more. The peaks may have been higher, but there were more misses mm. in season two. 
so maybe they were but, but if discovery takes if discovery takes a couple of years to find its its best self too uh, um and that takes the form of like slowing down as opposed to say like d space nine or tng where they didn't really get get super good until things kind of really started getting a bit more actiony a bit more dramatic mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. if 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 um the sort of the course correction that discovery goes through is it was too fast paced and exciting in the first couple of seasons and they actually slow down in season three i feel like that's still a, it's still in a better place you know because yeah. at least the first two seasons were really good as opposed to the first well, couple like of seasons of tng which were fairly mediocre hmm. so i still, still think they're in a better place than the other star trek shows it's just i do feel like as with almost all star trek shows when season three is when they really find their voice i hope that if the same thing happens for discovery Mm -hmm. the the manner in which they find their voice is just like Slightly. letting letting the characters breathe a bit more that's that's my only critique that's, what, what was your what was your what's the listener question for legends of tomorrow that the you listener wanted? question for legends of tomorrow is what does the red button do so what was the what was the um <laughs> They, they, the had a bit of a, they had a bit of a joke. Mona's coming out of the bathroom. Um, and she's oh, sort on of, the wave rider. On the wave rider. And, she's and heat saying, wave is like. Yeah, heat yeah. wave said, oh, just don't push the red button. And then uh, I think it was Sarah that passed by and she's like, oh, you just avoid the red button. It sends your excrement back in time, probably. And what? Dumps it on your head? like On your grandfather. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's the ultimate grandfather paradox. If your grandfather gets a staph infection at the age of oh, 15, you will you ever you, be born? Will you ever be born? Oh, my God. That's the ultimate grandfather paradox. Um, <laughs> this was a fun episode. This was, called, this was called The Getaway. It's basically like a road trip. I just uh, thought of Demolition Man, too. Do you remember? The, with the three seashells? With the three seashells. Yeah. What does that do? Okay. Um, <laughs> Sort of like a weird, yeah, no. mysteries of the universe. Almost anyway. like National Lampoon's Vacation crossed with Ugh. a Legends of Tomorrow episode, where it's so like funny. the family in an RV going across the. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, and, it, and forced to tell the truth by a convenient plot device, um, apparently sourced from uh, Egyptian mythology. Yeah, a truth-telling. So, so I hope that I hope that um, I hope that uh, Hank isn't dead at the end because. Yeah. No, I, I think feel it like is. sadly, I think uh, was, that episode really, really, really lined it up that way. That um, no, that that was the that was the ultimate goodbye. And you know what really stinks is that they're generating the drama where there wasn't any because anybody with a little bit of camera sense could have proven Nora Dark was trying to save him, and it just feels like one of those uh, one felt of those little, annoying that, that contrivances. Felt, yeah, that felt contrived, and, and it's like. He, he, at the end of this episode, he and Nate kind of reach an agreement and he agrees to be best friends yeah. with the legends, which mm -hmm. felt a little like I could buy him eventually getting on board with them, but it felt too quick that all of a sudden he's going to let them go off and do their thing again. That felt a little quick to me. And clearly what they were doing was they were setting him up like, oh, he's our friend. We like him now only to kill him at the end. Yeah. That felt a little, I felt the hand of the writer in there sure, a little too sure. much. Like, I don't think they would have had him have that sudden change of heart if they weren't planning on killing him at the end, because I think they just wanted that reversal to Agreed. shock you. you yeah, know? Agreed. So I, I, I like it though, because it's kind of like he's reconnecting to his family and he's reprioritizing well, what's important in his life. Well, my favorite scene in the episode was the scene with 
I don't think uh, he's face down. I don't think Nick Zana, who plays Nate, gets enough. Yeah, gets enough good on the show because because he he is he is one of the standouts on the show. My favorite scene in the episode is the one where he is secretly pumping his father for information in the form of his childhood pet, but his father actually starts opening up to him so much that he you get you can and it's all it's not in the dialogue. It's in it's it's in in Nate's performance. Mm -hmm. You can sense that like he almost forgets for a second why he's asked him this question, and he's just so happy to be. Connecting, connecting with, with his him. father and yeah. then like his father mentions the name of the family pet and he's like oh yeah that's why I asked and yeah, like yeah. he kind of you know what I mean and he just shuts off the he almost the wishes speaker. that he wasn't exactly it's like oh man I, I, I really hate that I'm betraying him here you know right. what I mean yep. whereas like in the writing it's fairly straightforward like he hates his father now because his father is torturing oh. these creatures and is lying to him. So he's going to... A good script, sorry to cut you off, but I've got to correct it right there. A good script has that in the dialogue. So many people think that a script is just dialogue, just dialogue. In fact, like I work in independent film and I get I get to see a fair amount of scripts and a lot of script writers make a similar mistake where they don't pay attention to the scene descriptions, to the character descriptions, to describing the character's quiet moments. Like you don't want to infuse it. Some writers will take it way too far where they will jot down exactly every single detail of the twitch in their face and that's way too far i mean better to have that almost than what uh the majority does which is not put anything in the descriptions but a good script will always have that just an element of this is what his his face is telling us right now because that's part of the communication and so i don't think People who write really good shows forget that rule. So don't say that it wasn't. It wasn't in the dialogue, but I'm I'm ninety eight percent sure well, that it still, was in the scene. You still it have was to. In the script. You still have to sell it, and it's hard to when Absolutely. you when you're just sitting there oh, listening yeah. to the other guy deliver the lines. It's kind of hard. It's a it's a lot well, to that's convey. Like, for you. I'm getting the information I wanted, but I'm kind of sad that I'm getting it because it means that I'm betraying him, yeah. even though he betrayed me first. But I'm actually enjoying hearing this information because I never really connected to him as a child. Mm-hmm. But I've still got to stay on mission, so I'm trying to remind myself of that. Like that's a lot to do when you're just sort of exactly. sitting there looking at the actor delivering the lines, you know? Yeah. So it's pretty impressive. That no, was, it is. That was it my is favorite impressive. scene in the episode. I wish we it's got wonderful. more of that. Mm-hmm. I wish the episode like it's fun seeing the rest of the characters like having zany misadventures on the yep. on the RV. But I kind of wish the episode sort of flipped the focus and it was more about Nate and his father mm-hmm. driving cross country trying to track them down, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we spent the majority of the time with them instead of with the characters in the RV. But that's, you know, it's not the episode we got. Um, I think they gave you just enough. You know what I mean? Like, but I especially don't think if he's dead now at the end, we're yeah. not, and we're not going to get any more scenes between the two of them. Like, it was just starting tragedy, to get right? interesting. Because they, they spent that last day together, basically, with, with, yeah. But at least they got their confessional at the end, you know, because like Nate told him, I, I think it was brilliantly written. And I think the balance between the zany and the poignant was for me successfully struck like what would you have done with those extra scenes seen more of the same thing basically and and maybe gotten some more history on his father's life and childhood and big deal you know they gave you enough to make the point do you know what i mean and so for me i think that balance was quite quite effective and the scene at the end i was really happy that they got the catharsis to for nick to get his um uh, get get his um opinion out there not nick nate. <laughs> that's the ad. yeah nate nate to get his opinion out there and say you know i love you the but this is all the stuff that's in my way and i'm still feeling conflicted about this and yes i've been lying to you and i love that hank's response was so genuine and true that the bug did not jump in his mouth 
Did you notice that? I thought that was really good. He was face to face with something that would have called him out on a lie and it didn't jump in his mouth because he was telling the truth. And so that's when I knew that they had won him over. And I didn't know that he'd be facing down a demon at the very next scene, you know, and saying like, look, no, I'm siding with my son on this one and I don't need you anymore. Which is bold as brass to like say he, to a hellish entity. I think he so. Like, don't you worry. Secretly helping the legends while... That's, that's what I'm saying. Don't you work with like... Um, all sorts of mythical creatures. You're going to walk into a room with like yeah. the biggest, worst of I them guess all you could and say, say that maybe bye. He, I mean, he didn't know that Neron is as powerful as, like maybe Neron was concealing his true power and goals from him and he just thought he was another like minor demon or creature of mythology like not yeah. the king of hell basically so maybe he you know yeah mm-hmm. he, so i don't know um but i think also this is what's frustrating me because the setup was so there and it would have been far more interesting if the writers had done a better contri- than this contrivance for Nora's character that she was trying to tell people like look there's a magical presence there they were under the table um waiting him out she didn't describe why she was feeling woozy or a headache or anything like that she could have sent like there's a serious bad magic magical presence here you we need to be aware and maybe like nobody could have nobody would have believed her or something like that like there there are better ways to do that and and they didn't even reach for the the that level well, we which i would have it. been critiquing we talked about it at the time honest. that i didn't even really buy that she'd be that concerned for him because from her perspective oh. this guy is just locked her up is torturing other people like her for experimental purposes she doesn't know nate like she doesn't care that nate's this is nate's dad she does she knows i mean she doesn't really like any of them she likes ray a little but she doesn't really like any of the rest of them at all she can barely tolerate well okay but she's been locked up for a little while and she's reading her books and sort of on the mend on the reform so i think she's being good for goodness sake i just think that they jumped a point like they they jumped a a beat in her arc where they Uh, went from she's starting to become good and she's becoming a bit more sympathetic to all of a sudden she's willing to risk her own her own eventual freedom by breaking out of the cell for a guy that she barely knows and is actually the one imprisoning her because you know even if she succeeded in saving him, who's to say that they're not going to be like, well, you did a good thing, but you busted out of your cell, so now we're going to add another 10 years to your sentence, right? Like, I'm not I'm not sure I bought that she would be that self-sacrificing for someone she doesn't even you know yet. Know she would what? do that for Ray, mm-hmm. maybe for one of the other legends, but not for her actual jailer. I, I, that, to me, felt like a bit too far, like a fast-forward on her redemption arc to me. You know what? I'm going to have to agree with that, yeah. Because for me, I... I I see what they were doing, yeah. and I see where they were going with it, and I understand that that's what they were. That's where they wanted to put her. They wanted to say, "All right, this is a good person now. She is, she has got a really bad reputation. She's coming from a, a darker arc, no pun intended. I swear, um, but she is. This is who she is. She's a hero now. And but they and and where they left her, how they had her imprisoned in the first place. And even the Ava, uh, Nora, what's the girl's name? The little Mona, girl, Mona um, episode that the three of them had, the sisterhood of the traveling book thing that they had. Yeah, that was cute. That was, or the traveling cake. I should have gone with the cake. Um, that was indicative of what the writers were trying to say about her character in terms of her being reformed, or at least almost completely reformed. So that I understand, but you're right. They didn't really sell. They didn't. 
this episode kind of had holes when it comes to justifying her actions because it didn't really make sense like somebody of her caliber first off would have said out loud like there's some magical jo- um, mojo going on over here and we need to be very very careful like instead oh i'm fine no no talk oh, i hate it when characters don't talk it's the worst um yeah so that's my gripe with this episode is that that contrivance for her character and putting her at unnecessary odds with the legends is just a load of irritating hogwash i did not appreciate that what did you think of um this episode of doom patrol with danny the street this was such a great episode oh i love it top to bottom it's so so nice so wonderful i'm it was worth the wait what what else do you want me to say about it? I mean, I could dig deep, but well, I, I think I'll they did a really good job. All night talking, really good job of translating I the character. Who, I mean, it's a it's a bizarre concept in any medium, <laughs> but it works a little better in a visual and, medium, and the obviously. page because you, you can. So? Well, I'm well. I phrase that. It worked point. really it's, well here. No, I know. I'm just saying, like, I, I'm I'm. It's it's difficult to translate, and they did it. They did a great job of it, but mm-hmm. it, it's a character which is. A little easier to convey on the page because the manner in which he communicates is visual. Yes. So you can have like because you're already reading the words in a comic, sure. you know. So you can just have the words are basically elsewhere. Like instead of being in a word balloon, mm-hmm. they are like on a store sign or on right. a flyer or whatever. And you're still you're on not a really, street banner. Right. But seeing it unfurl, there's a certain magic to it, isn't it? Like the leaves kind of collect right. in it, a it could have been done poorly. Or or it could have been done poorly, where like the characters are having to like. They, they mm. chose smart ways of, of dispensing Danny's dialogue through... The like, various have like, signage Yeah, like and they had like in, like in the comics, it would usually be like like a, um, a static sign, like a sign in a storefront or something. Mm-hmm. But they did a lot of smart things here with like having a scrolling electronic right. marquee. Have yeah, the lines they updated go through, it for so sure. That, so that each line of dialogue wouldn't have to be in a different place. Like mm-hmm. you could look, you, you as the audience didn't have to like, wait, now where's this next line coming mm-hmm. from? You could just look at the thing and his words would scroll by, you know? Yep. They made smart adaptations like that that, that work better for like a moving visual medium yep. than one where you're reading everything. Yeah, and I liked it also like... Even in a non-electronic sign, like they had the smoke thing. They they were imaginative. They didn't limit themselves to just signage, for example. They had the smoke come out of the gutter. They had the leaves um, blown in a specific pattern. They had, well, those are the main two. <laughs> but they had even the storefront with the old-timey kind of mm, golden lettering etched onto the window. You think that would be immutable, but somehow Danny made it move, you know? Like, I thought those were beautiful, clever touches, and... Um, and I really loved the characters that were in the, what did they call Denizens? Yeah, they call them the Denizens. Denizens, yeah. <laughs> it's cute. Um, I liked it. And I also, I like that there was a bad guy, I gotta say. I mean, I usually I don't like a two-dimensional bad guy, but you know what? This, this bigot, this, this representative, representative, Rep- uh, trying it the third time representative force of like this is what a bad guy looks like this is what a bigot looks like this is what a supremacist looks like like the 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 one that had history with larry trainer at some point too like we're, we need more intel on his character right because they they dispensed with his goons right quick but they left him alive to see what happens next you know to be the bearer of you know 
whatever. I don't even understand why they left him alive, to be perfectly frank with you, because wasn't it his mission that pursued Danny this entire time anyway? Would anybody else at the Bureau I don't know what have happened pursued? To I'm not sure that they killed him. Cause they just, oh, right, they just vanished. I think, That's right. I think Danny just, I don't know, like once they were within Danny city limits, he could, he could like swallow them up and deposit them somewhere else or mm-hmm. something. He doesn't seem like the kind that would... Because presumably no, he could he have killed them before now Seriously. if he wanted to. He could have, like, materialized on top of them or something. Right. He doesn't seem like the, the sort. No, so. no. Um, He's a good Yeah, guy. I think that, I mean, the, the, I'm not sure if the Department of Normalcy or the Bureau of Normalcy, whatever they were called, is from the Morrison run. It sounds familiar, but I feel like in something like Arrow or The Flash, it would mm-hmm. seem weird and cartoonish and two-dimensional. But in something like Doom Patrol, where the whole series is about like the weirdos and the outcasts, in this yeah. episode especially... Then they need an antagonistic force they, that looks down on they, weirdos and outcasts. Yeah, like... Yeah, it's like... Basically. Yeah. I mean, it's a villain would work... A villain like this wouldn't work as well in another series where the whole premise Agreed. isn't about weirdness. You right. Know? In fact, and those also, other shows are struggling... are, are striving to normalize their yeah, normalize and humanize the, them whereas this series is trying to like heighten them and make everything even weird yeah I don't even want to say weird characters they want to normalize everybody and they want to make sure that every, like inclusivity and and genuine empathy is is normal is is understood whereas here it's highlighted as something that still gets batted at well it's this the and series that's has why like a, such a mustache twirling on something like guy. the flash the world is Works. more or less i mean there's obviously there's metahumans and there's weird stuff going on but it's more or less our world i.e yeah. vancouver sure it's yeah. just a, it's just a, and barry allen's like a regular guy that happens to have superpowers sure. the show is about making it seem like our world just with a few superheroes in it whereas and barry allen's like the most remarkable aspect of that world mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. whereas here even though our guys are ridiculous the whole point of the doom patrol is they're the normal ones like they're weird but the stuff they go up against is even weirder like cliff is the everyman even though he's a brain in a robot body he's yeah. the audience identification character because he's the he's the big galoof everyman right yeah so mm-hmm. i don't know i don't even know where I'm, where I'm going with that but it's it's an interesting thing where most of the other most other superhero stories try to make it where you they try to like bring the 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 incredible characters down to a relatable human level right. by showing them in a normal human environment, like showing them getting up in the morning, right. going to work. Clark Kent has a job at the Daily Planet. Sure. Oh, he's just like us, right? But here, they they take they take characters which are already bizarre and they throw them even into more. Bizarre, bizarre situation. heightened situations yeah. and so they kind of we empathize with them for a different reason it's not because right. they're just like us it's because we're like they seem so out of sorts in this bizarre situation in the same way that we would feel out of sorts right exactly we they feel exactly how we would feel in a similar situation that's how we identify and so with then them. you introduce yeah. someone like mm-hmm. the department of normalcy and they almost seem even though they do seem like kind of bland and two-dimensional villains yeah I hate everything that doesn't look like me. Because everything else is so bizarre in this world, they almost come across as the most bizarre thing of all because they're the only thing that isn't bizarre. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) And so they seem like like this weird aberration. (gasps) You are so right. You nailed it. And it's it's the theme of the show, right? Like the the people, like the main character, not the main character, but the the guy, the... the, um, Well, in this episode, he is the main character. Sure, but I can't remember his name, so I'm trying to think of what to call him. Um, Agent. Just call him Agent. But the guy that was an agent and he goes there like, like... the whole thing is that in most other shows, like a concept like Day in the Street and people that are transgendered or or cross dressing or transsexual or, or, whatever, or, or, or whatever all, between, all these all these yeah. people are that found sanctuary there, they would seem like the 
they would they would be the odd person out. Mm-hmm. They would be the the aberration or the unusual aspect in the story. Right. But because everything in this show is so bizarre, they fit right in. Well, of course, there's Ascension Street where these people would find sanctuary. That makes perfect perfect sense. But here come these normal soldier bros. Yeah. And they seem like the most bizarre thing in the show because everything else is so bizarre. Of course, of course, the the transgender people fit right in. Yep. Because that's they're like the least unusual thing in the show. But here comes a soldier with a gun mm-hmm. and a and a and fatigues. Yeah. And they're like, "What universe did you come from, weirdo?" Right. <laughs> so, but that's the whole reason why. Like, and 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 I'm almost certain Morrison did the same thing. And so I think that's that's his his inspiration where. You have a series where everything is is so bizarre, and then you bring in what's they, they seem like this weird. It makes them seem the, all the weirder because they're yeah. like this weird invasive element that doesn't belong in this world, yeah, and it yeah. makes them more interesting. Like if you're watching, like Arrow or something, there's a there's a hundred paramilitary organiz like groups with guns, oh, yeah. terrorist organizations, Cadmus, government organizations, Argus, God, name them, super them. villain groups, mob bosses. Everybody's got guns and black Bratva. black coats and so on, right? Yep, like sure. it's a di- there are a dime a dozen there, and they seem less interesting because of it. Mm. But here, these are the only people in the, in the world that aren't on board with the fact that the world is bizarre, yeah. right? Yeah, at least the only ones we've seen, aside from like your the, the a average citizen, a couple of, of times towns, I from the odd citizen yeah, of the sure, town, sure, sure, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's what makes them interesting here. But and and but it's it's and the way the show dispenses with them is like they're a joke, right? Like once you once you stand up, once you realize yeah. who you are and you stand up to people like that, they have no power over mm-hmm. you. Like Danny, like I said, Danny probably could have crushed him in a second, but yeah. that's not who he is. Like these people could have killed them or taken their guns and shot them or done whatever, but instead all they needed to do is just be okay with who they are and, and then what are these people going to do to them anymore, you yep. know? Mm-hmm. And the, the way that the, the the main character, for lack of something better to call him or her, I suppose, um, be, doesn't show any fear to his former partner. Mm-hmm. It's just like, he, he's, he's pit, he pities him. Yeah, He's like, at least I know who I am. It's the whole thing of like yeah. the bully bullies you because they're secretly insecure. Right. Like the guy that calls you names for being gay is actually secretly closeted or whatever. Right, like yeah. it's probably not true all the time, but it's probably true more than more than random chance would predict. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, like the guys that are joining this department, they're the guys that have the weird hangups. Yeah, all yeah. the people that society that lives in in on Danny on Danny Street there. Yep, they might seem to quote unquote normal society to be the weirdos. But they're the people who know who they are and are comfortable with themselves. Yep. It's the people that seem like the weird all-American guys that are actually yeah. have the hang-ups and the insecurities and the problems. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's the whole premise po- point, point of the Doom Patrol mm-hmm. is that you can be as weird as, as you want to be. And like you have this weirdly, you got this negative spirit living inside you. You're a brain in a jar. You have 64 personalities. You're a ascension pile of goo mm-hmm. or whatever. That's mm-hmm. fine. Just, just you got to learn it. to be okay with it. Yeah. Like clearly, that's where Jane's arc is going. Clearly, that's where Larry's arc is probably the clearest of all. Like he literally has to come to terms with himself because because he's got another person living inside him, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Jane arguably has sixty three other people living inside of her. Rita's got to get okay with who she's becoming, right. not who she was. Mm-hmm. Cliff has to come to grips with the fact, like whether he's going to find his daughter again or whether he says that's not me anymore. I'm mm-hmm. robot man now or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. that's where all these arcs are going. Yep. And so I feel like thematically. You know, yep. and I feel like it's actually a stronger thematic through line than it was in the comics, where Danny the Street was just one more weird concept that Morrison threw out, and he stuck around. Like he became almost, he was like a member of the team. Mm-hmm. He and their base of operations at the same time because they didn't have this big castle, right? That they would live in in the comics. Um, so he stuck around, but I feel like 
there was no there wasn't really that much of a thematic I guess it's not not to be expected because Morrison he's writing these things month to month for years you know whereas when they're setting out to plot out this series like okay we got 15 episodes what's going to be the theme what's going to be the through line you can plot it out in advance Morrison was like Dickens he was writing it chapter to chapter serialized right so it's amazing that any of Dickens stuff hangs together as well as it does because he was writing it week to week yeah you can't go back and revise the first chapter once you've decided you need a new it's like oh man i'm writing chapter 30 i really wish i'd put a gun on the mantelpiece back in chapter one but i didn't do that (laughs) right it's like you do that in a movie or even a episode a series like this where you're shooting all 15 back to back to back you can maybe go back and insert Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. so it's perhaps not surprising that it has a stronger thematic through line than the comics did because it takes someone like I mean, I'm as big a Morrison fan as you'll find, but his stuff doesn't always have the strongest thematic through line because I feel like he's got so many ideas and he throws them out as they come to him. Yep. And his best stuff does come together at the end, but it almost seems like he, he was as surprised as you were that it worked at the end. Yeah. Where someone like Neil Gaiman or Alan Moore, they've got like the whole thing structured <laughs> in their mind. So funny. Like yeah. Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. Yeah. You can see the whole thing. Yeah. Like Alan right Moore... Knew what every panel of every page in Watchmen, like whether he had it written down, I'm I'm sure that he knew exactly every beat that Watchmen was mm-hmm. going to hit before he put mm-hmm. pen to paper and wrote issue number one, because yeah. that's the way his mind works with these things. Mm-hmm. Morrison is not like that, so I feel like in some ways this improves on the original concepts because they can take everything that Morrison created and um, Arnold Drake and Bruno Premiani with the, the original nature. comics and synthesize them into something that has a clear theme that's the nature of collaboration though and that's the nature of like shared property and shared shared characters because something like this can affect the imagination of a lot of talented people and so grant morrison started the spark that now lit fires it's in gonna a lot burn of people the first order down absolutely but <laughs> oh did i say something cliche oh no <laughs> um it's just it's just cool to see what a cool concept can become in the hands of creators that have even more imagination. Like, they didn't invent this concept, Grant Morrison did, but the the things that they did with it, the way they executed it, and the cohesion that it has to the rest of the story and to the other characters, and it's just it's just cool, you know, because they they took an already cool concept and they made it solid. Yeah, Does I think that makes that, sense. Well, one of the things that's most impressive, this will be the last thing I'll say, is that one of the, one of the things that's most impressive about Doom Patrol, I guess as much as we enjoy Titans, it makes a good uh, contrast. Cleanser. Because, <laughs> well, no, it's, it's an interesting contrast because I feel like the the best moments, my favorite moments in Titans were the moments that, that I feel like, man, they really captured that thing from the comics. Yeah. And like this mm-hmm. was, this they really captured Jason Todd. They really captured the Doom Patrol in the Doom Patrol episode. They really captured Hawk and Dove or, you know what I mean? Um, whereas, but I feel like the moments, the moments in Titans where they, there was never a moment in Titans where I felt like they, they, um, what's the word I'm looking for? They surpassed the source material. Yes. Mm-hmm. The best That's moments were the, the best moments were the here. ones for me that evoked the source material. But I felt like they never surpassed it. Whereas with Doom Patrol, what's what's impressive is that they, without without like like okay, this episode we're going to do the perfect, um, you know, 
animal vegetable mineral man right. storyline like they, they never like okay this is going to be our blank episode right, right, right. Gonna, they, they, we're taking it page from page from what we saw in the comics they, no, synth- they, they synthesize the stuff yes. better and it flows better and it, in some in some ways like I think this is the best version of Negative Man there's been just because he's never been a particularly interesting character just making him gay and closeted mm-hmm. and from the 50s or 60s conflicted. makes him instantly so much more interesting yeah. I feel like the, the best things about this show are the ones where they surpass the comics because the best the best adaptations should um, I feel like there's an even Take better word for surpass that I'm, that it, that's not coming to me right now but they they should the best adaptations should outshine the original material because you can look at what the original did and mm-hmm. see where it maybe didn't succeed as well mm-hmm. and you can improve on that mm-hmm. and a lot of adaptations don't like everybody always says you know go, you know, some the Jurassic Park movie or whatever, where people are like, oh, the book was better than the movie. Like, right. this, you all saw the book is better than Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the book is better than the sure. movie or whatever, right? Um, but, but as everybody said with Lord of the Rings, like, you couldn't just film the book. It would be, first of all, it would be 50 hours long. Second of all, it would be unwatchable because there's so many weird digressions and all these other characters that aren't Details important to show off or whatever. Details and stuff like, like that, yeah. You, you can't like, have that, that in there. that would be impossible. Um, and so, in a lot of ways, Lord of the Rings um, surpassed the source material because it it did exactly what it needed to do for an adaptation, and it synthesized the best of the book mm-hmm. and put it on screen. Um, the book has its own unique strengths, but I feel like right the movie does too. Whereas, I don't think I don't think Titans. As much as I enjoyed season one of Titans, I, I don't think there was a moment where I'm like, that's the best version of X I've ever seen. Right. Or that, there wasn't. That, I can tell you. But whereas with this one, like, this version of Danny is, I don't know, like, Danny was, got, an, you know, got even more interesting later in the comics, so maybe he will here too. I hope we continue to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, oh, this is, this is the best version should, of... You should correct that pronoun to be them. But, I guess I, I guess did, so. No, it's true. He in this version, Danny is not a him. You Danny got me. Is, I'm I'm not woke when it comes to <laughs> section streets. That's no, my, no. Because it's my prejudice. No, the only reason I'm calling it out is because specifically, um, it was he was introduced as a gender fluid. I understand. Um, person. Yeah, I just personality. I, I should say. I just feel like yeah that there's that there's moments in because there, there's so much from the comics that you can include or not include right um and i feel like titans didn't always ma- make the best choices in that department like the ways in which they diverged from the comics were interesting but weren't necessarily improvements correct yeah um, i i they were, they, they were interesting and unique because like oh that's an interesting decision mm-hmm. to make the character like have that personality or whatever but i'm not sure it's it's better whereas here like the characters are either straight out of the comics or the ways in which they change them are actually improvements. Improvements, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not a lot of versions of... But they don't... It's funny because like nothing that they've got in the comics seems to go against something that's established and beloved in the... Co- in, sorry, nothing that they've got in this version of Doom Patrol in, on, on screen goes against what was established before in comics. Does that make sense? Like, it doesn't really, like, fight I mean, against there are some, some There are probably some things with the characters that... Maybe a couple, because, like, small things. Well, I, mean, we talk, I think we talked about this before. Like, I don't think that Cliff Steele was, for example, an adulterer in the mm, comics. Okay. Like, if you were a big Cliff Steele fan... Yeah, you might That would bother you as much as, like, the fact that Dick Grayson was, like, a like violent and bloodthirsty in right, season like, one. Like, to, make it, to make an oversimplification, thing, yeah. you know? Like, because, because we're fans of the Dick Grayson character and we know a lot about him, 
that struck us as discordant and it kind of took us out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you're a big Robot Man fan, I'm not sure there is such a thing as like a huge Robot Man fan, but if you are, <laughs> you know, having him... take issue yeah, having him like a- have... Uh, you know, mess around when his daughter is like in the next room or whatever, that would really bother you. But because we're not bringing as much baggage to these characters. That also has a lot to do with it. Like, so it's, in some ways it's, it's a little unfair to, to do that, do that comparison. So I'm sure there, there are changes here that, that strike purists as being untrue to the original versions. But I don't know, like they don't, they're not as big a, as big a diversion. Like Dick Grayson being, being, I, calling calling the Titans version of Dick Grayson bloodthirsty is an oversimplification, but you know what I mean. Refer back to all the right. other episodes where we talked about it. Um, that seems like it's against the traditional version of his character. Cliff Steele may not have been philanderous in the original comics, but it's not against his character. I feel yeah. like it's just if he he could have been that, we just didn't see it. It wouldn't surprise anybody. Because his personality in the show is very much his personality from the comics. You know? Just like negative just like Larry's personality is very much his personality mm-hmm. com- with just with the added wrinkle of exactly. also being gay. Yep. It's adding something. It's not it's not subtracting what you loved about the character from the comics. It's it's That's adding it's adding Additive. a new like dark gritty wrinkle to it quote which which you may or may not approve of right but it's not changing who the who the character is in their personality and in, in their day-to-day life it's just adding arc. an element of their backstory yep. you know mm-hmm. so i feel like maybe that's the difference yeah but. that's that's how i that's how i feel about it those details to to i don't know it's sort of like taking a color by number and adding a little bit of shading to it with some pencil pencil art you know like you're you're adding more texture to it and I just, I really dig it. I really dig what they're doing here. And I, I, I'm having a lot more, even more fun than I thought I would. I thought it would be kind of crazy and rompy, but this is, this gives me feels and I did not expect that. I didn't. And I'm really enjoying the show. So is that it? That's it. Wow. Um, so yeah, if you want to reach out to us, we have an email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. On Facebook, it's facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And on Twitter, we are at smartspodcast. Um, happy tax day, everybody. How about um, a funny sound for us? It's the sound of a someone typing up there, like the IRS t- typing the tax return. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs>